Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam, asher kitshanu b'mitzvotah v'tivanu la'asok b'divrei Torah. Ve'harevna Adonai Eloheinu et divrei Torateka, b'finu ufi amka b'tisrael, v'niye anaknu v'zetzeinu v'zetzei amka b'tisrael, kulanu yodea shemeka, v'lom de Torateka lishma. Baruch atah Adonai Hamlamed Torah Leamo Yisrael. May it be soon in our days that Hakadosh Baruchu grants us the merit to see the resurrection, the revealing of Mashiach ben David, and the revealing of the building of the Beit Hamikdash. Amen. King Yehidat. So, back on track for the Agarit Rome study. And so, again, I want to recap that. I originally was having in mind to write a uh, book of commentary on this specific letter, because out of all the letters written by Shaul, the letter to Rome would probably be the most directed one for our generation since we're in the exile of Rome, commonly known as the exile of Edom, which is Asav. That's right, the hated brother of the pair of Yaakov, Jacob, and Esau, which is Esau, Jacob and Esau. Two sons descended from Yitzhak, which is Isaac, and one was loved and the other wasn't. Uh, Hashem literally brought that up, so just to source that out real quick, um, give you that, that's from the Minor Prophets. So let's see here. It is Malachi, Malachi, uh, one three. But Asaph I have hated. So this is interesting, you know, when you really get into that. And it says, and I have turned his hill country into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. So that's a little bit of uh, strong words there. But anyway, so Esau's descendants include Amalek, also include uh, Edom, Rome, Christianity, and also to back up a little bit or a lot of bit, Ovadia, Obadiah. He was also a descendant of Esau. So what happened with Obadiah? Because he's a prophet and he's totally a Jew in the book of Tanakh. And he has his own letter. And if you read in chapter 18, or not in chapter 18, in verse 18, um, it says, what does it say in there? Um, let's go to it here. Obadiah 1. Hang on. Slika. All the time I uh, plan to share sources and... I always come across one that I did not plan to share. So let's go ahead and go to Obadiah 1. Literally go down to verse 18. What does it say? The house of Yaakov will be a blazing fire and the house of Yosef a burning flame. But the house of Esau will be stubble. Yaakov will set it ablaze and consume it. Therefore, no survivor will remain from the house of Esau. 
for Adonai has spoken. That's interesting because now we're looking at the destruction of Rome, the destruction of the church, the destruction of Christianity. No survivors left. The only thing is, that doesn't mean that everybody dies. That literally means who converts, who gets consumed by the consuming fire. I will just tell you one of the last things that I experienced being a part of the house of Asaph is that I had a overwhelming desire for being consumed in the fire of Hashem. And Hebrews chapter 12 really spoke to that because it says our God is a consuming fire. And I was just like, yes. And then I realized, oh, that's Torah. Torah is the fire that is consuming. So if you look at the word of God being fire, that is from Yermiyahu 2329. Jeremiah 2329 is not my word like fire declares Adonai and like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces. Sad thing is I did not bring commentary for this verse, so we'll table that for now. But just know, Yaakov is synonymous with the same fire that the Torah is, which is what Hashem is. So really, if you want to talk about being in the word, being consumed by Hashem, then you would have to be in the house of Yaakov, which would make you a Jew which is completely different from Asav, which is the stubble that is going to be consumed by the fire, which is the word of God, Yaakov, and Hashem. So anyway, uh, when we look at the letter to the Romans, why would Shaul write to this group of people? Well, again, if you go back to my intro, there were people from the uh, Shavuot event of Acts chapter 2 that went back and spread word all across the area of the known world at the time. And Rome just so happened to be a part of it. So Rome is obviously a part of Italy, the, the country that, the, yes, the country on the continent of Europe. And uh, it's got the little boot that kind of sticks out. And so, you know, uh, that's hotbed of the Pope, uh, the Vatican, and all those things. So writing to this group of people, what is the deal with Asaph? Because if we're going to write to them that ultimately are going to be destroyed, why even do that? Well, just like the prophet Ovadia, Obadiah, he left Rome and came to be a part of Yaakov. And the beautiful thing about what Mashiach Yeshua sent us to do, he said, go out into the world and proselytize. So you go out and bring people in. And the, the crazy thing about that is it's not standing on street corners. It's not knocking door to door. It's not telling people to turn or burn or get sanctified or chicken fried. It literally is you just going out with the message, which happens by the way you look, by the way you live, you know, and by the way you speak, actually. You know, uh, people are going to notice there's something different about you. First of all, your head's always covered and you're wearing zit zit. So, you know, that's going to be weird. 
you know, and if you're a woman, you know, same thing, you're dressed very, very modestly and things like that. So, you know, there's uh, quite a bit of difference there. So just by the way you look and by the way you speak and by the way you live, that's already a lot. And then when people want to ask you why you do such things, you're already like given the open door. So that's the first thing up. Now, back to this congregation here. We are in chapter three and I finished off with verse 12 and I I intended to pick up with verse 21 because I kind of went all the way through to that um, when I podcasted last time because all of these verses between 12 and 20 kind of all flow together because it's a conglomeration of Proverbs, Psalms, and the prophet of Isaiah, which again, I just make the point that if Shaul was anti-Torah at all, why is he even quoting any of that? The Sefer Tehillim, the writings of Tehillim are actually considered equivalent to the Torah. That's why there are five books of the Tehillim. So literally, Tehillim in and of itself is a Torah. So that's something to take into account. And when we talk about the prophets, the prophets only prophesied for the sake of Mashiach. Tractate Sanhedrin brings that down. So because of the words of the prophets, that would teach us about the Messiah, which is why Mashiach himself started with the Torah and the prophets and the writings and spoke about himself, namely to the people on the road to Emmaus and any time he was questioned about who he is. He never quoted Galatians. He never quoted Ephesians. He never quoted Colossians. However, all of those letters quoted Mashiach. So something else to think about. And the last thing I want to say before really getting into this reading is that, again, remember during this time frame of the writing of the letters, that this was all about the teachers and the repeaters of previous generations. It's called the Tanaic period. This is literally during the time of the compilation of what's called the Midrash Tankuma. That is one of the primary Midrash sources that came from this time period. So... We're looking at when Mashiach was here on the earth, everything was about what is repeated. So therefore, calling this canon of writings New Testament, first of all, is like so far inappropriate because New Testament is not the same as New Covenant because Covenant and Testament are two totally different things. And again, Marcion is the the person who came up with this idea. Let's call part of the word of God old and this other part new. And I don't know about you, but I don't feel comfortable telling Hashem that he's old, much less saying, yeah, your old word over here and your old covenant, that wasn't good enough. You were imperfect. I am so perfect, so therefore, I need your new covenant because it helps an imperfect person be perfect. 
So that may not be the intent, but that is certainly the direction that has taken off. And 2000 years later, we're still in exile because why? Because people are being disobedient to the word and slandering the word of God, calling it old and that we don't need to do it anymore. So insert over here in Rome, we're going to be seeing that it's a call to the Torah. So Brugashem. And uh, again, with the whole New Testament during the Tanakh period, nothing is new because everything that's happening during this time period is all about repetition. Everything that is spoken is something that has already been said before. Literally nothing new under the sun literally would apply to this time period. People are teaching. Sages are teaching. Rabbis are teaching. Ravs are teaching what they have heard from previous generations. Tanaic period, Tana, Tanaim, Google those words, uh, Jewish Encyclopedia, those words, Encyclopedia Judaica, those words, and get you some knowledge on that because this will help with the lack of clarity that exists in the world today because of the exile of Rome, who decided thousands of years later, like around the 14, 1500s, around the time of the printing press, even if you want to throw that in the in the whole bunch, that around this time, it's like, okay, we've been through several versions of what we're going to call the quote-unquote New Testament. This is the one we're going to go with because you know Matthew through Revelation was not the first time that this section of writing was uh, compiled. There were previous uh, options that were on the table before, things that included like Cephas, Peter, his apocalypse, like his revelation, uh, the Didach. Um, there's, I mean, there's all sorts of stuff. Uh, Barnabas has writings, you know, and things like that. So those things, again, just really recapping everything since we've been away and out of order. You know, I've jumped to chapter six and then I jumped to chapter five. Now we're back in chapter three. So just want to recover all those bases and just say, what's up? So, and again, just to um, double up on the emphasis, none of this is new. This is all repeated stuff. So blessed be Hashem for his Torah and for the opportunity to engage with it. So before I pick up in my commentaries on verse 21 of chapter three, I'm going to go ahead and go back to verse 12. So that way we can bookend my previous podcast to this one. All right, here we go. So verse 12, all have turned aside. They have become altogether pascunde, which is worthless. There is none who does good. There is none, not so much as one. Their throat is an open grave. They're, they use their tongues to deceive the venom of asps that's like serpents, uh, pit vipers, is under their lips, whose mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift when it comes to shafach, dam, shedding of blood, ruin, and wretchedness are in their ways. And the derech shalom, the way of shalom, 
They have not known. There is no Yerat Shemaim, fear of God, in their eyes. All right, again, that's Tehillim. That's Yeshiyahu's writings. That's Mishlei. Okay, summarizing that all up, this whole section here is about a person who turns away from the Torah of Hashem. This is what the results are. So you might want to think about the next time Shaul is teaching against Torah, because if he was, then he'd truly be teaching people how to have a mouth like an open grave and tongues that deceive. Oh, yeah, that does happen today. Tongues are deceiving. And even when people speak in tongues in certain uh, congregations that worship on Sundays uh, as the Sabbath, quote unquote, Uh, they're not even really speaking in tongues, which should not be a surprise. But, you know, anyway, it's just uh, something to think about. Consider the source and say to the law. Uh, Another thing about this is that, you know, no one is doing good because the Torah is what teaches us how to do good. I mean, Devarim chapter 30 Deuteronomy chapter 30, I mean, is that not a thing? You know, I set before you life and death, the good, the evil, the the blessings, the curse, you know, insinuating that I set before you life, which is good, which is blessing, or I set before you death, which is uh, bad, like evil and curses. And how do you receive death from the Torah? You are disobedient to it. Because you lack the uh, engaging of the goodness of the Torah, so therefore you receive the badness of the Torah. Just like if your parent tells you to do something, they literally have set before you life and death. Should you choose to be disobedient to what they say, you will experience death instead of life. And so this is also another thing about the uh, errant teaching that exists in the world today, that the Torah brings death because many people say they don't want to be under the law. Many people say when the Torah came, 3000 died and it's just kind of like, wow. Okay. So anyway, just kind of think about the logic of it all. And it, it makes, it starts to make a lot more sense, but people don't want to think logically because they're stuck in fear. Because if you go against what the preacher says, then that's going to be a problem because what about grandma and great grandma and great, are your great parents, you know, and things like that. And all your current family members who are stuck in Edom, you know, and it's just like, if the prophet Ovadia was able to get out of Edom, guess what? Everybody can. You mean to tell me someone who grew up as a descendant of Esau, full of all of this 12 through uh, 19 stuff, you mean to tell me someone that grew up in that was able to come out of that and even become a prophet? So, say law. Because, I mean, we don't have to get stuck in that, you know? So, uh, yeah. Just want to point that out. Going on into verse, uh, let's see, 19. Now we know 
that whatever the Torah says, it says to those under the Torah, in order that every mouth might be stopped and kol ha'olam hazeh and all of the current world today become Hashem, guilty, and liable to mishpat Hashem. Okay, so because of us being in covenant with Hashem, we are now bound and obligated to the Torah because, again, a husband who is married to his wife or vice versa, the wife that's married to the husband, both way streets, they have bound themselves to one another and they're not allowed to engage in relations with anyone else. Okay? Like, you know, breaking the laws of Shomer Nagia and, you know, all sorts of other crazy stuff like cohabitation and things like that. I'm just saying you you don't do those things. So therefore, if you chose to be in covenant with Hashem, you've chosen to align yourself to Hashem's thoughts, his desires, his will, his uh, expectations. So in Tehillim 1 verse 5, Psalms 1 verse 5, it says, Therefore, the wicked shall not be vindicated in judgment, nor the sinful in the assembly of the righteous. So when we look at the commentary to this, it says that uh, therefore the wicked shall not be able to stand or survive in judgment. The measure of their punishment is constantly filling up. When they reach the limit, they will be so guilty that nothing will save them. Nor the sinful in the assembly of the righteous. By the way, it uses the word adat, which is based off the word ed which means witness. So the congregation of witnesses are righteous people, the Edat Zadikim. So as Zadikim of Hashem, i.e. fulfillers of the Shema, we are a congregation of witnesses, like a great cloud of witnesses, just like we were in the desert and just like talked about in Hebrews chapter 11. It says, the sinful will not share in the rewards destined for them in the Olam Haba. The wicked ones will not rise up for judgment at all. However, the, the sinful, but not the rebellious, will arise for judgment and eventual expiation. This is a key point because, again, we're talking about that the, whatever the Torah says, it's like, Okay, who who here is bound to the Torah? Like, because they're in a relationship and covenant with Hashem and stuff like that. Okay, so you, you're take, talk about that. For the rest of you, because of this reality of those who are under the Torah, which literally is a whole another drosh for another time, because I know we're not under the law, but yet we're under the Torah. So what does that mean? Talked about that in my pouring podcast. But anyway, let's just say that it's all about the the fact that you're serving Hashem out of love. It's a heart labor. It's a service and a devotion that's all motivated outside of the context of fear only. 
Nothing was shown to you to make you terrified, i.e. the opposite of Thomas. Thomas was like, I only believe Mashiach is resurrected because I saw him. I touched him and I put my hand inside the pierced place. However, Mashiach said, well, blessed are those who still believe yet didn't do any of that. So when you're not under the law, that's the thing, because the when the law was given that the mountain was smoking, we were out in the wilderness. We just got out of Egypt and went through a whole year of Hashem revealing himself and then the splitting of the sea. And then the battle against Amalek and, um, you know, resurrection and life, every word that came out of Hashem, you know, when he was given, when he was speaking the Torah and the tongues of fire dancing around the camps. I mean, it's easy to believe in that and be like, oh, gosh, I'm yes, I will. Yes, sir. I will do exactly what you say. I will not tell you no. But yet. Go all the way to the time of Esther and Mordecai, and now you get where we receive the Torah out of pure love, pure joy, and the love and the fear of Hashem being completely unified and balanced, like we pray in our Kavanah prayer, our prayer of intent, uh, in fear and love to unify the name of Yod and Hey with Vav and Hey, like the name of Hashem literally unifies love and fear. So Mashiach Yeshua comes along, tells us, if you love me, you will follow my commandments. And it's like, yes, because we would be unifying the name of Hashem, which is what Mashiach is a manifestation of. Mashiach Yeshua, that is. So anyway, Bringing that all up, this point here is saying that there are people who are wicked and they will not rise up for judgment. But people who are sinful, but not rebellious, because guess what? All of us have sin. But the thing is, is are we rebellious or are we literally those who fall into sin? as opposed to manifest it and conjure it up and embody it and uh, build it and uh, dwell in it and make our sukkah in it, build our house on it. Because that would be a rasha, which is rasha'im is the plural, which is the wicked ones that we're talking about here, which is what Asaph is. He's a rasha. This is why the descendants of Asaph literally look you in your face and say, yeah, I know the Messiah's birth was not on December the 25th, but who cares? Everyone knows that we're still celebrating. So if you got a problem with that, that's you're just being legalist, you know, or no, we don't have to do any of those festivals. Passover. I've done plenty of Passovers. I don't need to do Passover no more. And yet Schmeister comes around every year and it's like, oh, we got to do this. We've got to have the sunrise service. We've got to have, you know, the baskets and the eggs hunts, you know, and we've got to do all these other holidays that are commercial driven, nothing scripturally focused. That, my friends, is called a Rasha. Not only 
because it's wrong to do something com- that's based off of commercialism. Because, again, commercialism in and of itself, I mean, you got to make money. But the problem comes in when you say my faith and my very observance and worship of God is based off of commercialism. It's not based off of scripture. That's where the problem comes in. Because if you tell people and tell Hashem that, yeah, 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 I know you said and I know what your word says, but yet I will not do it. That, my friends, is called being a Rasha, being a rebelliously wicked person who is full of sin. And those people are the ones who will not rise for judgment. This is why I literally, again, go back to Ovadia's writing. He says that no one of the house of Asav will be left, i.e. those who choose to continue in the footsteps of Asav, you will meet the same judgment. On a side note, the body of Asav was severed from its head. The head of Asav is Mashiach, Yeshua. Have no doubt about that. Because Mashiach is the head. But the body of Asav is not attached to the head. That literally happened at the moment of his death. The head of Asav was separated from his body. How do we know this? Parasha Vayaki were the the patriarchs of the tribes, that would be the 12 sons of Yaakov, take their father, Yaakov, back to Eretz Israel from Egypt, by the way, take him back to go bury him in the cave. Asaph shows up and go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yaakov doesn't get buried here. I get buried here. And there's a big holdup. And one of the descendants of Dan, come on, uh, steps up and I'm like, hey, what's going on? He was a little hard of hearing, a little blind, but he was just like, I'm about to handle some business. Somebody stopping my granddaddy from being buried. I don't play that because we Jews, we bury our dead. We don't let them sit out in uh, public disgrace and have view viewing uh, ceremonies of them. We don't open the casket and have people walk up and take pictures or stare at their corpse. We don't do that. So Let's be respectful and bury the dead. And uh, with all this going on, Asav, you're going down. And he knocks off Asav's head. And the head of Asav rolled into the cave of Machpelah. And that's the only part of Asav that made it in to the burial plot with the patriarchs. That would be Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. So when we look at Mashiach being the head of what is commonly known as Edom, the church, Rome, because Mashiach currently is at the gates of Rome. He's covered in Rome. He looks like a Roman, but he's not. So, yeah, all those implications are going to separate out the head from the whole body. The whole body will perish and decay, but the head will be with Yaakov i.e. Mashiach Yeshua will be rightfully returned to his people like a king who comes back from exile. Like Melech David, who was anointed as a king, but then had to go into exile for pretty much a lot of his life. 
And then finally, um, being rightfully placed as king after the death of Shaul. And then he got to reign for 40 years. However, with Mashiach's reign, it will never end. But currently, he's in that exile period. And so, Baruch So anyway, back to our point here, because Mal Beam is the uh, person who made this comment on Tehillim 1.5, Psalm 1.5. And he's basically saying that the sinners, those who sin, but they're not rebellious, they will receive expiation, which is totally good news for us. Because we're going to read that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory. So we're all sinners. We know that. Um, however, are we confessing it? And do we desire to flee from it? Or do we not confess it and desire to wear it like a suit of armor? Like a Decepticon instead of an Autobot? Uh, so going on, it says that they, but they will not merit the delight of being in the assembly of the righteous. So take that and put that next to Matityahu chapter five, Matthew five, where Yeshua said those who teach, though, teach everyone to be obedient to the Torah, the law, uh, those will be considered great in the kingdom, but those who don't teach people to be obedient to the Torah, they will be considered least. So here's your least right here. You'll be forgiven of your sin, Brugashem. However, you will not merit the delight of being in the assembly of the righteous. Because guess what? There's going to be a, a heavenly city of Jerusalem on earth. There's going to be paradise where there's pleasures at his right hand evermore. The place where treasure is stored up, where moths and rust can't get to it, that kind of stuff. The reward for all of the mitzvot that you've done in this world. That place is going to be manifest and prayerfully soon in our days. However, if you're in the category of the least, you're in the category of those who are sinful and didn't want to be righteous, then, uh, yeah, you won't get any of that, but you'll be forgiven. So is that really what you want? I mean, that's literally the equivalent of being outside a covenant, but yet a-okay in the USA, so to speak, with a shim. It's like, yeah, I'm justified and I'm sanctified, kind of. But uh, I will not be glorified and experience all that other stuff that's to come. So just a, a key note there about being under Torah, yet not being under the law, but being bound to Hashem and consumed in his fire. Because if you don't want to fit that category, then you should just know that um, Tehillim 1.5 totally exists and you might want to pay heed to it. Verse 20 in chapter 3 of the Agarit to the Romans, it says, For by Maasim works of Chok, or Chuk, which are the statutes, the parts of the Torah that just have no rational understanding for us. It's like, why do we have to eat kosher? What's the deal with the red heifer? Those are called Chukim. 
statutes, decrees. These are what Hashem lined out for us that it's just kind of like, rationally, we don't get it. But guess what? In time to come, Hashem will teach us these things. So get you some of that. It says, so by my seam of chok shall kol chai lo yitzak. All living not be justified. Let's put that in simple English. For no human on basis of Torah observance will be set right in his sight. For through the Torah comes awareness of sin. Which again over here in the OJB it says for through the chok, the Torah observance, comes da'at ha'chet, the knowledge of sin. Literally, the Bereshit 3 verse, Genesis 3, 7, about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So, if you just kind of take that down for a second, we're going to go to 143, Italian 143, verse 2. Take a little hop, skip, and a jump over here. Tehillim 143, it's right after 142. It says, and do not enter into strict judgment. Oh, Sliga, yeah. Do not enter into strict judgment with your servant, for no living creature would be vindicated before you. Okay, so footnote or commentary. It says, if I have sinned against you, I deserve punishment, but now is not the time to judge me for I am in terrible danger and I need your assistance. That's from the Ebenezer. No creature would be vindicated. No human being is free of sin. If you carefully scrutinize every, say every, that means all, every man, every human, every homo sapien, all will be judged guilty and you will be compelled to destroy the sinful world. That is from the Sephorno. So here's the deal. He just said, if you want to be a worker of Torah mitzvot and do all these good things, guess what? You're still going to be judged as a sinner because you're going to have some sin. And that's kind of disheartening on the surface because it's like, well, I've tried. And should I just give up? And it's like, no, because, again, we're talking about the fact that what's your justification before Hashem? We already seen that if you just forsake it all, then there's all this judgment and no reward and no inheritance and complete destruction. But what about if you do try and yet you're still going to be uh, judged as a sinner? Because uh, it says that all will be judged guilty. It's like, so then what's the point? Well, if we keep reading. That once we're made aware of our sin, because it says the Torah. It, it gives us an awareness of it. It's like, hey. Here's here's a 
there's a problem. You don't want to do that. Uh, hey, nope, don't want to do that over there. Nope, don't do this. You know, there's 365 hold up, wait a minute, in the Torah, and there's 248. Oh, yeah, go ahead, get you some in the Torah. So that would be 248 positive commandments, 365 negative commandments. If you add those two together, 248, 365, you get. 613, 613 commandments composed of do's and don'ts. Now, they're not simple do's and don'ts. So to think of, okay, just like a human would say, don't do this, do that. No, because the Torah tells us things like observe the Shabbat, which is completely beyond the human scope of what we would think, because it's like, I ain't got time to take a day off, man. I got to get the work in. And Hashem's like, no, you need to take a day off so you can do some blessing and be refreshed and rest and stuff. It's like, Hashem, I don't even get why you even commanded that. Then Hashem says things like, you know, do not kill. It's like, okay, don't kill anybody. Big deal. But yet, how do you, how do you justify killing somebody, you know, like, just really kind of thinking about it as far as a do and a don't, you know, well, in the human mind, that doesn't really ever register. Should I kill this person? Should I not kill this person? As far as a strictly intellectual human person goes, we don't really have a registry for that. The only reason we know that there's something inherently wrong about just carte blanche going out and killing somebody is because... Hashem created us from the Torah, which means the essence of Torah is a part of our DNA. The thing is, is do we downplay that or do we want to increase that in our life? The understanding and the awareness that we were literally created from and with and through Torah. In Torah, we literally live, move and have our very existence or existence. So anyway, I know you can kind of get into the weeds on that and the minutia of, oh, the Torah's do's and don'ts. Okay, so now we can tie that to Colossians. It's like, no, completely missing the point. Don't do that. You're a very short person on a runway. You will not get hit by the plane, but the jet stream will knock you down. So <laughs> anyway, so how, what do we do with this? Well, if you go into verse 21, which is what I love, he says, but now apart from your observance, the Zedek Olamim, the Zidkat of Hashem, the righteousness of Hashem, everlasting righteousness has been revealed as attested by the Torah and the prophets. So wait. If you do Torah just for the sake of doing Torah, you still will be judged guilty and as a sinner. But yet, if you are right before you start doing Torah, before you engage Torah, there's a justification and a de declaration of innocence or uh, not guilty that is available. But it comes from the very thing that if you did without this righteousness and this clearing of guilt. I mean, it's just kind of like, wait, what? So 
that very righteousness and clearing of guilt is in the very thing that if you just did that thing, you would be considered guilty. This is why Shaul's writings are hard to understand, because why, why, why talk like that? Why don't you just say, you know, it in simpler terms? It's like, well, how do you really say that in simple terms? You observing the Torah doesn't give you justification before Hashem, but yet Hashem will justify you. And now because you're justified with Hashem, now you do works of Torah, which will attest to the righteousness that Hashem is giving you. And also free you of your guilt and your and your uh, your your crime and your punishment and judgment. But you have to have this this uh, righteousness that is from Hashem that has been revealed in the Torah. It's like so I got to get what's in the Torah before I start doing the Torah. It's like, yes. Hmm. Okay. (laughs) Literally. That's what's here. Put it a different way. But now God's righteousness apart from the Torah has been revealed. This is why Yeshua told his Talmudim. Here's a just kind of a way to hopefully bring more clarity and tie the bow on this concept. Mashiach went up to. Twelve individuals and said, hey, follow me. That's it. That's all he said. He didn't tell them to change their life. He didn't tell them to to like do this or do that. He just said, follow me. And that's it. And it's like, okay, that's literally the picture here is that before we even get going, before we even know how to say shalom, before we even know how to light candles, before we even take on a Hebrew name, Hashem will bring us into a place of renewal, justification, redemption, atonement. All of that exists apart from all of those different things that will now come with your new lease in life, your your package deal, so to speak. And that simply is exemplified in Mashiach saying, follow me. When people question Mashiach, say, how come some of your Talmudim don't wash their hands? Because like you are and a couple of the other guys are. But like these people over here, they're not. And they're just like eating away. It's like they're doing good just to not be killing people. They're doing good not to be gouging people's eyes out uh, financially, fiscally. So, you know, it's good that they're here. And it's just like, okay. Don't get how that's an answer to my question, because why there is apart from Torah observance, a righteousness, by the way, that is an everlasting righteousness, an eternal righteousness that exists. And that is what the revelation is, which was always known, by the way, because Abraham or Adam to Noah, from Noah to Abraham, which is a very, very short link because Abraham learned Torah from Noah who learned Torah from Adam. So there's your three-link chain right there. That's how close in generations uh, these individuals are. You read the 
the sufferer of Bereshit, Genesis, and you think, oh, man, Abraham came hundreds and thousands of years after Noah. Like, oh, they never met. And it's like, no, Noah taught Abraham. And furthermore, Noah's son, Shem, is the one who really carried on that link and even lived longer than Abraham. And then Shem had a grandson whose name is Ever, who taught Jacob, who taught Joseph. So like we're really getting down the list here, but a very short chain from Adam to Abraham as far as this righteousness that is revealed apart from Torah, because before Torah was a publicly wide known thing, it was taught only by Noah and Shem, which completely destroys the idea that you should be a Noahide, which means like be be a, a child of Noah who did not observe Torah. It's kind of weird because it's like Noah taught Torah. It's like, yeah, but really one and a half of his children observed it. So if you're saying be a Noahide, are you saying be like Japheth or be like uh, Ham? which Japheth had people who converted and Ham had people who did the opposite of convert. So if you want to be a Noahide, you're going to really fall under one of those categories because the other son of Noah, who's Shem, by the way, is literally the progenitors of the Semitic people, the Jewish people, because Shem transferred his uh, kingship and priesthood to Abraham, who handed it down to his children. So Abraham being the first Jew is this whole picture here that you come from a place of lawlessness, you come from a place of idolatry, and you enter into this covenant, you enter into observance and things like that. Because that righteousness that is eternal and everlasting, that was something that was taught and known, but ultimately was revealed at Mount Sinai for the whole entire world. Until then, or before then, it was just with Shem, Eber, and Abraham and his descendants. Namely, Yitzhak and Yaakov, because Ishmael, he knew about it. He, he went away from it. At the end of his life, he converted. And then Yitzhak had Esau. Again, we learned about him being the Rasha. And so obviously he didn't want it. So it was now just Yaakov. And then Yaakov, all of his sons did it. And they handed it down to their children, which uh, is what we ended up with at the beginning of the story of the Exodus. So. They knew about this revelation of the righteousness apart from Torah. So now we're over here in the Agarit to Rome and it's like, but now God's righteousness apart from the Torah has been revealed. And the Torah and the prophets are the ones who are the witnesses. So it's like, okay, so are we talking now like, the first century now, are we talking now, like, because prophet, prophets prophesied during the time period of the first temple, the destruction of the first temple, the rebuilding of the second temple, 
And then it ultimately went away with Yokonon. Like Yokonon the Immerser, the one who is the cousin of Yeshua. The one who said, you know, uh, the one who comes after me, I'm not worthy to tie his sandals. Like that one. He was the literally the last one. So there's that to really kind of take into account. So it's like, okay, so what's the point here? Well, let's go to the next verse. It says, namely, the righteousness of God through putting trust in Mashiach Yeshua. Or the faithfulness of Mashiach Yeshua, as testified in Tehillim 143, 1-2. So, one of the things here... If you go back to verse one, it talks about Hashem's righteousness. It says, Be emunateka aneni be zidkateka. Zidkateka, slika. Be zidkateka. Answer me in your faithfulness and your righteousness. Translation follows Rashi and Radak. Answer me because you promised to do so. And your word is your bond. Furthermore, I deserve to be answered because of your righteousness. Since you know, I am more deserving than my detractors. Sephorno comments that the psalmist refers to God's promise to be faithful. As in Tehillim 89, 29, forever shall I preserve my kindness for him and my covenant shall remain true to him. Now the psalmist declares, although I could re- I could demand divine assistance by virtue of this covenant. This, by the way, is why it's important to understand being in covenant with Hashem, because when we're in covenant with him, we're literally given divine assistance. So therefore, the Torah becomes as light as a burden because Hashem is going to help you do it. Just like Hashem helped the Levites pick up probably the heaviest thing that you would ever pick up in your life, uh, known as the Ark. The Ark was two golden boxes that were on, uh, one was inside of a wooden box of acacia wood, and the bigger gold box was outside of that. So you got a gold box, acacia wood insert, with another gold box, and then a completely gold top, and then some bars that were acacia wood that were covered in gold. And then inside of there were over a half ton pieces of tablets made of sapphire that came from Shemaim because the broken pieces of the tablets, the tablets that were shattered when Moses came down the mountain, that was in there. And then the new stone tablets that Moses cut out from the foot of the mountain of Sinai Those were also in there. So, I mean, how heavy is that? But because you're in covenant, Hashem caused that ark to lift up the people who were carrying it like hoverboard style, like Iron Man style. You know, like I'm going to fly you around because when we crossed over the Jordan, the ark lifted up its carriers, placed them in the bed of the Jordan as the water parted. So, you know, like a helicopter when it comes down and the the blades are like spinning and the grass or whatever is around that landing spot. It all like goes crazy and blows out, you know, and it kind of bends and you're just like, whoa. So the ark 
is doing this landing procedure and the water just kind of spreads out and creates a path that's only as wide as the bars. So literally a straight, narrow path through the bars of the ark. That's how much the water was split. And all of Israel had to pass through that narrow path, which is passing in the way, the truth, and the life, i.e. the body of Messiah, the life of Messiah, the existence, the command, whatever you want to call it, all of that, all the above of Mashiach. And that's how we crossed over the Jordan while it was at flood stage, by the way, not just normal flow speed, but like flooding. So we crossed through that and that's how we got into the promised land. So if you really just think about all that goes with being in covenant with Hashem, that's what life with Hashem is like. You shouldn't be able to fit in this spot. There's a lot of people that need to fit in this spot. This thing is super heavy, but yet it's picking up the people who are carrying it. It's moving by itself. All that is required is for us to grab a hold of it. Once the Levites grab a hold of the ark, then it takes off. But it's like if you don't grab it, I mean, it'll it'll go because, again, the ark went before us three days journey to move snakes and scorpions and level out the high places and the low places for us. So we can have a straight, even path to walk on free of danger. Because there were two arcs, but yet there's one. And so it's just kind of like, all right, which is crazy because the the acacia wood that's inside the two golden boxes of this triple arc. That's the one that housed the broken tablets that went before us, which is called the Ark of Moses. So it's kind of like the acacia wood insert, like went out of it, projected out of it, went ahead three days journey. And when it came time to rest and set up camp in the tabernacle, that wooden piece kind of went back into the Ark. So it's like a, like a, I don't know, like a holographic copy of some sort that goes out, but it's yet, it's a real thing. It's not just a hologram. So I don't know, just thinking about the implications of that, because, again, the broken pieces and the acacia wood arc are inside the regular arc with the second set of tablets. It's a very, very heavy piece. So all of that just to say the the uh, significance of divine assistance and the significance of being in covenant. So continuing on with Tehillim 143.1 about this divine assistance. It says, I recognize that I'm truly unworthy of God's intervention on my behalf. It's the other part of being in covenant with Hashem. We are not worthy of Hashem helping us do anything. And we're not worthy of Hashem even intervening. But because we're in covenant, Hashem does. That right there. I mean, you want to talk about not being under the law, but under grace. I mean, come on. We don't deserve what Hashem does for us, what he has did for us, what he will do for us. But yeah, he does. I mean, come on now. Anyway. Therefore, I humbly beg God to answer me because he is merciful, not because I am deserving. That is from Sephorno. 
The righteousness of Hashem that he gives us that's apart from Torah is all about giving us what we do not deserve. We just read that when all men are carefully scrutinized, and we are, before Hashem, we will be judged guilty. But yet, God has mercy upon us. And because of his righteousness that exists, that is apart from Torah observance, that's apart from all works of the law, he gives us that as the precursor to bring us into covenant with him so that when we're in covenant, we understand we're not in covenant because we're so awesome. We're in covenant because Hashem is merciful and we are literally the picture of a turtle on a fence post. Think about that for a second. I'm talking like a a four foot tall fence post. A turtle is chilling on top of a four foot tall fence post. How you think he got there? Because that's completely forgotten many times by people who are Torah observant that do not forget you're a turtle on a fence post. How you think you know about Kippa, Zitzit, Humash, Torah portions, Yom Tov, Roshodesh, Kashrut? I mean, how you think you know about any of that? I guarantee you, when I was a part of the house of Asav, I knew not one of those words. I knew about Sabbath, but I mean, I thought it was on Sunday. Like, it got changed because the Messiah was resurrected. Didn't know you couldn't change the Shabbat regardless because Hashem has designated the Shabbat and he set the Shabbat as the Shabbat with the understanding that Mashiach would resurrect on the day after the Shabbat. Oh, did I just say day after Shabbat? Like the same terminology that's used for counting the Omer? Show did because the resurrection of Mashiach is celebrated by counting the Omer. So therefore, all those Omer counters out there, congratulations, you are celebrating the resurrection. (laughs) Baruch Hashem. So, if that wasn't enough, verse 22. That is the Zitkat Hashem through Emuna and Mashiach Yeshua to all the Ma'aminim Remember that song? Ezra Maginam Who? Any of that sound familiar? One of the uh the Nigunim of awesomeness. <laughs> so uh yeah we are believers so that word ma'aminim yeah that that literally is what people who believe in the mashiach are called mashiach yeshua the people who believe in him place their trust in him they're called believers it says there is no distinction put that in a different way 
Literally, it says, The righteousness of God, through putting trust in Mashiach Yeshua, to all who keep on trusting, for there is no distinction. What do you mean there is no distinction? Because it says in the next verse, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are set right as a gift of his grace through the redemption that is in Mashiach Yeshua. So there is no distinction for anybody who is going to receive this everlasting righteousness that comes through the faith in the Mashiach, i.e., did you have a Jewish mother or did you not? I'm sorry, because if you don't have a Jewish mother, then you're out. Because that's totally a thing today. Or, no, the Jews totally killed Yeshua, so, or JC, because we can't call him Yeshua for some reason. Uh, they totally killed JC, so therefore don't even bother with being Jewish and don't even bother with the Torah stuff, Old Testament stuff. Because, uh, yeah, we're the new Israel and we're going to love God by being disobedient to him. And, you know, we'll call it grace and we'll see you at church on Sunday. OK, so both sides uh, issues. So what are we doing here in the middle? Well, we all know that we're sinners we all know that if Hashem is going to judge us, whether we do the Torah or not, we ain't going to make it. However, if we embrace the righteousness that is apart from Torah, that is an everlasting righteousness, which comes through Amunah Mashiach Yeshua as a believer in the word of God, the same thing that Abraham was called in Genesis chapter 15, then there you go. We're acquitted we're accounted as righteous, and this is called a matnat, a gift, a matana. And uh, if you look up the word for gift, this is what the Torah is called. It, the Torah is called a gift. What else is called a gift? Salvation. And what else is called a gift? Shabbat. It's a gift. So if you think about a gift, you didn't do anything to deserve it. The person who gives a gift, they give it out of their own zone, their own will, their own uh, desire, their own kind of, this is something I want to do. This is stirred up within them to do. So here's that other thing that uh, gets shot down horribly. Um, that Jews work for their salvation because, you know, salvation is a gift and everything. It's like, yeah, those poor Jews, they, they work for their gift. It's like, is it not a gift? Is it, is it a payment or like, what is it? It's like, no, it's a gift. So this righteousness that Hashem gives us is a gift, something we didn't have to work for. It's something that we had to accept. And that's the thing. That's why Kabbalah is so crucial to understand because Yeshua says 
you know, I know people have asked Yokanan, is he Eliyahu? But I tell you, he is Eliyahu. If you can receive it, i.e. if you received him as Eliyahu, then you can know here is your final redemption because Eliyahu is only going to come right before Mashiach. But if you don't embrace Eliyahu, you get no Mashiach. So if you don't embrace Mashiach, you get no acquittance, no uh, clearance from before Hashem. It's inside the Torah, but at the same time, it's apart from the Torah because you cannot do enough commandments to put you on the right path with Hashem if you're not embracing the gift that Hashem has given us. And that is, regardless of who you is, regardless of where you come from, regardless of who your mama is, Hashem has offered you something. Do you accept it? There is no distinction. I want to go ahead and drop down to this uh, Timothy passage because we see here that... uh, There's a cross-reference to Timothy. Where does that come in at? That comes in... I think that's down the the way here. Notes all fuzzed up. No, I was not trying to say another word, so don't, don't you put that on me, Ricky Bobby. Okay. Somehow, see 1 Timothy 1 through 9 as a thing. So, we're just going to go right into that. Because I believe that was actually attached to one of these verses here. Where are we at? Wonder how I got this. Anyway, here's what it says. Knowing that the Torah is not given for a Zodic, but for the lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and the sinful, for the unholy and worldly, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, homosexuals, slave traders, liars, perjurers, and for anything else that opposes sound teaching in keeping with what was entrusted to me, the glorious good news of the blessed God. First Timothy chapter one, verses nine through 11. That pretty much covers the whole gamut of like everything. So that I'm just kind of like, there's a whole lot going on in my brain right now. Cause I'm like, Oh my gosh, like the Torah is not given for exotic, but for the lawless and the rebellious, like the, the Reshaim and the, 
the Chata'im, the the re wicked, rebellious ones, and the sinners. Like, that's what the Torah is for. Yeshua says, I didn't come for the healthy. I came for the sick. Okay. So like that. And also, this ties back to Tractate Shabbat 88b, when the angels were like, Hashem, how dare you give the Torah to mortal flesh? Uh, and Hashem was like, what do you mean? Moses, tell him what's up. Because it says, literally, I'm going to read a little snippet of this. It's very, very long. But if you get the chance to read Shabbat 88b, Please take some time. Chew on it. It's amazing. Here's how it starts in this one particular section. When Moshe ascended to the heights, the ministering angels said to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the master of the universe, or master of the universe, what is someone born of woman doing among us? He replied, he has come to receive the Torah. They said to him, the coveted treasure that was stored by you for 974 generations before the world was created? You intend to give it to flesh and blood? To Helene 8 5. What is mortal man, Psalms 8 5, what is mortal man that you should remember him or the son of man that you should recall him? To Helene 8 verse 2. Psalms 8, verse 2. Hashem, our God, Hashem, our Lord, how grand is your name in all the earth that you bestow your glory upon the heavens. HaKadosh Baruch Hu said to Moshe, Teshuvu, which, by the way, translates as give them an answer. So Moshe, make Teshuvu, which means give them an answer. So if we want to know the answer to the problems of our life, the problems of this world, the answer is Teshuva. Sleekah, it says, Moshe said before him, Master of the universe, I fear lest they burn me with the breath of their mouths. At this point, it's important to know, Moshe was already all fire. So how is fire afraid of being burned by fire? Because in order for Moshe to enter into the throne room of Hashem, he had to go through the one whom which you have to go through to have access to the Father. No one has access to the Father except through, that's right, Yeshua HaMashiach. Who is Yeshua HaMashiach? The angel of Hashem, who is the angel of fire, the angel of his presence. So when you go through him, you get turned into fire. That's why... Mashiach Yeshua immerses us in fire and the Holy Spirit. Yep, remember that? Okay. So, this fire up here is still threatened by the angelic host. So it says, HaKadosh Baruch Hu said to him, Take hold of my Kisei HaKavod and Teshuva. Respond to them. When you grab a hold of the one who has immersed you in fire, then you become fireproof. Just because you're fire, you're not fireproof. But when you grab a hold to that which turns you into fire, now you're fireproof. Moshe was able to have no fear at this point, basically, is what I'm getting at. He says, 
Take hold of my Kisei Hakavod and respond to them. Moshe said to them, or said to him, Master of the universe, what is written in the Torah that you are giving me? Shemot 20, verse 2. I am Hashem, your God, who took you out of Eretz Mitzrayim. At this point, Moshe grabs a hold of the throne of Hashem, which, I mean, just think about that, because the throne of Hashem is Mashiach, which is just like the woman grabbing a hold of the zitzit of Yeshua for the issue of blood. So Moshe is grabbing on to Yeshua for responding back to the angels. Hashem, at that point, causes the message of one of the verses to be shown to him. This is one of the midrashes that teaches when uh, Moshe was grabbing a hold of the throne, he was actually looking into the Torah, and the, the black fire on white fire was arranging itself into statements for Moshe to speak. And so the first thing popped up, you know, like the old school magic eight ball, you ask it a question, shake it up and the little message appears. That's kind of this picture here. That's actually, I'm not going to say that's where it came from, but you know, everything comes from somewhere, right? Why not magic eight ball come from the throne of God and the Moses incident? But anyway, neither here nor there, but eight ball corner pocket. So this verse appears, Shemot 20, verse 2, I'm Hashem, your God who took you out of Eretz Mitzrayim. So that verse comes up. Here's what Moshe says. Addressing the Malachim, he said, Did you descend to Mitzrayim? Were you enslaved by Pharaoh? Why should you have the Torah? Dot, dot, dot. This is why Moshe is the man, because when one verse was stated, he was able to come up with all this commentary on the spot. That right there, I mean, if people have a problem with Moshe, I mean, I'm just saying. You look at Exodus 20, verse 2, and tell me just off of the top of your head what you think without looking at commentary. Compared to what Moshe is saying, why he's in Shemaim and being faced by ministering angels who surround God's God's throne of glory. I mean... Just the the awareness of your environment alone would be enough to shake a person up. Anyway, it goes on and on and on. But I mean, that is an important note, because when you read that passage in First Timothy, it literally is speaking to this point. Well, you can't get the Torah because you're not exotic. It's like, oh, so what's in the Torah? Oh, how to be exotic, how to uh, not be lawless, how to not be rebellious, how to not be ungodly how to not be sinful, how to not be unholy and worldly, uh, how to how to not kill your father or your mother, which, by the way, is embarrassing them. Uh, murdering, sexually immoral. Like, do you have any of these issues in your life? Slave traders, liars, perjurers? Because if you do, that's why Hashem gave us the gift of Torah. Which, if we receive that gift before we get into what the Torah is, but what we receive from the Torah, now all of this stuff is going to get rectified. It's, it's going to get changed, transformed, wiped out. You're no longer going to continue to be a person who does any of these things. That's in 1 Timothy 1, 9 through 11. 
So people tell you, I don't know why you want to convert. I don't know why you want to be in covenant with Hashem. They don't ever say that, but that's literally what it means when they say, oh, don't be Jewish. It's like, don't be in covenant with Hashem. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. I just said, don't be, don't be Jewish. And it's like, well, when you tell a person not to be Jewish, you're telling them not to be in covenant, which would mean you're telling them to remain guilty and remain in their sin. Remain in a place of not being transformed and continue to do all these other things here. So we've all sinned. We've suffered want of the glory of God. And again, that goes back to what happened in Exodus 19 and what happened when God created us from the dust or the the water and the, the mist that rose above the dust of the earth, which was clay, made us being molded from clay. Genesis chapter two, we would actually see we weren't literally made from dust. We were actually made from clay, which was the mixture of the dust and the water. So earth and water and breath of Hashem. So combine all those elements and voila, you have a dumb. See, so here's the thing. So we we look at when we were in these spots, when we said not saving Ishmael, we will do and we will hear. God was like, I'll make you a royal priesthood, chosen people, holy nation, make you eternal, immortal, all that stuff. That's when we received the glory of God. Adam was not supposed to die. Hava, Eve, she was not supposed to die. Israel was not supposed to die. Moses wasn't supposed to die. Nobody was supposed to die in the desert. But what happened? We suffered of the want of the glory of Hashem, i.e. all sinned and fell short of the glory of God. Because why? Because we gave up that glory when we decided, you know what, Hashem? We don't even want the righteousness that's apart from the Torah. And we don't even want your Torah. I.e. crucify him, crucify him. Make us a golden calf. Eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That's where all these roads meet. Saying, crucify him, crucify him. Build us a golden calf. And let's eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Those are all synonymous. And Zohar Kitisa 11, section 107, agrees. Says, when they sinned with the calf... All these supernal levels and lights, i.e. the glory of God, were removed from them and the armored belts that they, or the, the utility belt, a Batman kind of thing, the armored belts that they were adorned with, the supernal holy name that they were clothed with, were removed from them. We lost our belt and our clothes, which our clothes was the name of Hashem which is four letters, by the way, the Yod and Hay, the Vav and Hay. Thinking about that being clothing and a belt to hold that all together. I mean, is it no, is it any wonder we have to be clothed in Messiah? Take off the old and put on the new. I mean, come on. Anyway, that was all removed and they drew up on themselves the evil serpent as before. 
and again. Say before and again. Before and again. Cause death for the whole. Say whole. Whole world. Here's why all have died in Mashiach and all have been resurrected and made alive in Mashiach. The only thing is we have to accept it and we have to engage it. You can have a brand new car all you want, but if you never take the key and put it in the ignition after you obviously have your license and completely street legal and everything, which by the way would be conversion. Anyway, if you never do any of those things, it's going to be a very, very beautiful car that belongs to you, but yet it's never going to be used. That's what it's like when everybody in the whole entire world that is in need of repair, transformation, renewal, but we don't receive the gift that Hashem has given us, which is everlasting righteousness that's revealed apart from Torah by the Torah. So see how easily without sources and without a Jewish mindset, you can just go, oh, yeah, this is why we don't need to do the Torah, because we have Messiah and that's all we need. All we need is JC. And that's the way to be. He did it all. We can just kick up our feet. It's like that sounds like a socialist. I'm going to make somebody else do the work while I sit back and reap the benefits. And do nothing at all and respect and expect the same benefits and payment as the person who worked really, really hard to get these benefits and payment. They've exerted themselves. I haven't. The only thing I said is I agree. That's it. And it's just kind of like, wow, we're really going to treat a shim like that, huh? Well, that's what happens. That's why Asav is considered the type of person that he is. All right. So labored on this point quite a bit. And again, Zohar Kitisa 11, section 107, just lets us know everybody was brought back to death because of the sin of the golden calf, just like everybody was brought to death through the eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil from Genesis chapter three. And now through Mashiach, all have been made alive. So do we do we accept that? Do we receive it? Because if we do, that's going to cause some changes. And there is no distinction. There is no way you can go, oh, you're you're you weren't born Jewish or your mother wasn't Jewish. And, you know, that's that's old Israel. And this is old covenant. And we're new covenant. Like there's none of that. It's like, listen, are you in or are you out? Really, you should just go with being in. But I mean, for those of you who think there's a second option. I mean, you're going to end up like Asav. Your good part will be severed from the rest of you. The head of Asav. I mean, that whole Midrash is just basically pointing out. What Asav aspired to was amazing. This is why Yitzhak loved Asav. Asav was like, I'm going to go beyond everything. I'm going to like strive and reach for the highest levels. I'm going to, I'm going to tithe stuff that doesn't even need to be tithed. And I'm going to talk to my father about it. And Yitzhak was like, wow, son, you're so zealous. You're like, 
you make me look bad, and I, I offer myself as an Akira. But yeah, you're over here like, Hashem didn't even talk to you about tithing that, and you're like, I'm going to tithe it. I'm going to give to Hashem. Yet, obviously, Asav was all about the talk and not about the walk. So that's another part, which is why, again, his head is separate from his body because he talked a good game, but he never walked a good game. And boy, how do we see that? And his descendants that uh, we love to talk, but we don't love to walk. So would, do you want to be like Asav or do you want to be like Yaakov? Okay, so moving on. Verse 24. What does it say? Through faith in his blood. Did you know that the blood of Mashiach did you know the life of something is in his blood, right? That's a passage from Leviticus. So where do we find the life of Mashiach? We find it in the Torah. Because again, if he went around his whole entire life teaching people about himself from the Torah and the prophets, we have to know that's what the blood of Mashiach is. So. For instance, if we go, because one of the uh, the things about blood is spoken about in Bereshit 22.7. Literally, 22.7. Are you serious? Okay. So, Bereshit 22.7. Here's what it says. It says that Yitzhak said to his father, Abraham, father. Like then Yitzhak said to his father, Abraham, father. And he said, or he answered, yes, my son. And he said, here are the fire and the wood. But where is the sheep for the Ola, the burnt offering? So if you pull up commentary on that. See what we get. Goose egg so far until clear your car, drop something on father. Let's see what he says. Suspecting Abraham intended to sacrifice him, not realizing that it was Hashem's command. Yitzhak tested him to see whether he still re responded to the name father. Interesting point. Here I am, my son. Abraham assured him that he is still his loving father. Mm. But where is the lamb? If he loved him, what was he planning to offer? It's like, okay, so you're still my father, even though I know Hashem has commanded you to sacrifice me. So if you love me, you probably won't sacrifice me. So what else are we going to have here? It says, Elohim, Hashem, will show the lamb. Abraham hinted that he was indeed to be the offering, but it was Hashem who had chosen him. The blood of Mashiach is about the one who was chosen as the sacrifice to be offered for atonement. And it literally is a self-sacrifice. So when we talk about there's no greater love for a person 
There's no greater love than this, than one lay his life down for the person that he loves. That's the blood of Mashiach. So that's interesting. And then going on into Shemot chapter 12, uh, verses 3 through 6. Let's go ahead and drop those in real quick. Or verses 3 and 6. So if we go to chapter 12, verse 3 says, Speak to the whole community of Israel. Say that on the 10th of this month, each of them should take a lamb to a family, a lamb to the household. Verse 6, you should keep watch over it until the 14th day of the month, and all the assembled congregation of the Israelites shall slaughter it. So again, we have this designated offering. It's all connected to the blood. So now we go to probably my most favorite commentary ever, the Yeshiahu passage in 53. Here's what it says. Just going to camp out here and we'll, we'll bring it home with this. Bezrat Hashem, we can finish this chapter tonight. Sleeka. Okay. Starting in verse 7. It says. Like a sheep being led to the slaughter or an or a ewe that is silent before her shearers. He did not open his mouth. Ibn Ezra say, sees this as a familiar portrait of the Jew in exile. When he is persecuted, he does not protest, even though he is the most righteous one in the land and is devoted to God, nor does he know anyone influential enough to intercede on his behalf. Thus, he is rendered mute. Now, obviously, if we have this idea about ourselves that we're the most righteous one in the land, that would be a problem. But comparatively so, to being in a land of people who are absolutely godless and forsakers of covenant, Obviously, if you're a person who's devoted to Hashem, you would be considered the most righteous. But that's not for us to determine. So for what that's worth, Selah. Next, it says, according to the Targum, the subject of the entire verse is Mashiach. Seriously, the Targum says the subject of this verse is Mashiach. And it says, and Yeshayahu prophesies that the nations will flock to him and he will guide the entire unprotesting world toward the proper service of Hashem. He renders the powerful among the nations of the world will be brought to him like sheep led to the slaughter or like an ewe that is silent before her shearers. None before him will open their mouth to resist. Verse 10. So it says Hashem desired to oppress him and he afflicted him. Hashem may Israel, i.e. Mashiach, suffer that he would recognize the truth and repent. So Mashiach 
obviously didn't know any sin, but he became sin for us. And even in that, he led out in repentance. So there's a Lakute Maharon drop, Rebbe Nachman, that talks about the Zodic fakes or puts on this picture of Teshuvah. Like he doesn't really need to make Teshuvah, but he does it. Like I'm talking about the, the only one who can be called a Zodic, which obviously is the one who is completely sinless. That's Mashiach. That Zodic is what the commentary is about. And it says that he basically puts on this Teshuvah, even though he doesn't have to, because the Teshuvah that he's going to put on is actually the Teshuvah that his generation needs to make. So, yes, the Zadok who takes on the sin of the world shows the world how to make that Teshuvah that he's showing them and also will apply to them should they choose to embrace themselves or embrace him and walk with him in it. It's kind of like, you know, this this righteousness that's apart from the Torah, it's found in Mashiach. So once you're in Mashiach, you get all of that. But being in Mashiach causes you to be in the things that Mashiach were in, like converted and covenant, upholder of Torah, so on and so forth. So like you've you've now embraced that. You've now become into the essence of who he is. So because of that, you become a person who recognizes truth and repent. So that's Rashi it says, since Israel upheld God's Torah, which is the Torah of truth and was willing to give up his life for it. How are we to understand the oppressions and the afflictions of exile? It is the fulfillment of Hashem's will, either to atone for sin or for reasons beyond our comprehension. That is from Radak. So here it is being the blood of Mashiach, the designated offering that willingly lays down its life, life for suffering to bring atonement and uh, repentance and all of that. That's the blood of Mashiach Yeshua which grants us the opportunity of being acquitted and accounted as righteous before Hashem with an everlasting righteousness. So even though we've sinned and fallen short, when we get into the blood of Mashiach, we embrace the righteousness through Mashiach. Now, it says to continue this verse, verse 25, to show his righteousness and passing over sins already committed. This right here is a direct connection to Pesach, which again, Exodus chapter 12, Hashem passed over the houses of those who had blood on the doorposts. And it literally says that the people who had blood on the doorposts were Israel. Those were his people. Side note. The people who have blood on their doorposts and who are actually in covenant with Hashem, some of them were formerly known as Egyptians. 
I just want to point that out that, you know, when Hashem passed over the house of the Hebrews, the Israelites, the Jews, he was literally passing over the houses of people who converted or people who renewed the covenant upon themselves. Like all of the above, no distinction. They were all called Jews. Because you have to know that according to the Midrash, there was a group of people who heard Moshe say, all right, it's the 14th of Nisan, go slaughter your lamb, put the blood on the doorpost, get circumcised tonight, eat the Pesach Seder, and about midnight, Hashem is going to come through and kill all the firstborn. You have to know some people literally hearkened to that, and they were like, that's truth, I need to repent, and I'm going to get blood on my doorpost tonight. And it's just kind of like, okay, that's the point. That whether you were in covenant before or whether you never knew what covenant was, regardless, we still all need to enter into this. And because of that, there's going to be a Pesach. So now you can see why in the early part of the book of Numbers, there was a group of people who were like, we did not get to offer the Pesach offering and we did not get to eat of it. We need to eat of it. Please ask Hashem how we can do so. And there is where the beginning of Pesach Shani, the second Pesach, which happens a month later, came from. Because it's like Pesach is so important that if you couldn't make it to Pesach on the 14th of Nisan, then Hashem is going to be like, okay, on the 14th and to the 15th of ER, a month later, you must bring a Pesach offering. Because it's that important. Everybody's got to enter into this righteousness of Hashem that's everlasting. That is the blood of Mashiach. Verse 26. In forbearance of God to vindicate his Zidkat Hashem, the righteousness of God in present time, that Hashem is righteous himself and the one who counts to be Righteous with Hashem is the person who has Amuna and Bitakon and Rebbe Melech HaMashiach, who is the manifestation of Hashem, the manifestation of Torah, manifestation of the Spirit of God, the fire of God in human form. So again, to put that in a better term, God set forth Yeshua as atonement through faith in his blood to show his righteousness in passing over sins already committed. Through God's forbearance, so it's like, all right, so I'm going to take that all away. He demonstrates his righteousness at the present time that he himself is just and also the justifier of the one who puts his trust in Yeshua. So the whole thing is like when you engage into everything and accept this gift that Hashem has given us, Hashem is like, all right, well, you should have died, should have killed your firstborn, but you know what? Instead of killing you, I'm going to kiss you on the cheek, lalatov, continue on to the houses that don't have blood on the doorposts. That's basically what this whole section is about. So where we started earlier was about people who just, nope, not going to do the Torah, can't do it, don't want to do it, don't care about it. Shem's like, that's all death. Then people are like, well, I'm going to do the Torah because I'm going to do it. And it's like, well, do you accept the gift that I've given you as opposed to, you know, you're doing all these commandments and stuff, but yet you don't care about me. 
It's like, so what if you honor your mother and your father? If you don't love God, I mean, what's the point? You're going to, it's like, great. You honored your parents, but you hate God. So is that really what we want to do? So anyway, so nope, don't do that. So now I love God and I'm honoring my mother and my father, but yet I'm messing up on all this other stuff. Hashem was like, great. Because the fact that you love me and you're engaged in everything, you're going to get passed over and you're going to get acquitted for your past failures because the blood of Mashiach Yeshua is what you're in and it will cleanse you. You will mess up less and less and less and less and less over time. And until you're completely healed of your sin affliction, which is after this physical flesh decays, because this physicality is actually what's what what a uh, sin has its grasp to. So this earthliness and this mundanity that we live in, that's literally the source of all of our sin. That's why this is called the animal flesh, animal soul, and it wars with our godly soul. We want to serve God. Our heart and our mind are like, boom, I'm there. But our hands and our feet are like, no, I don't want to go there. And it's like they have to, we have to uh, wrestle them and make them submit. And so until that gets transformed and changed, you know, we'll still have some issues that we need to work out. But Hashem is like, well, because you're in covenant with me, here's how that's going to go down. So you will struggle. That's okay. But the thing is, what are you doing with that struggle? Are you continuing to return to Hashem? Are you continuing to uh, strain for righteousness, strain for applying the blood, you know, to who you are, walking in it? So there you go. Okay. This is a very, very chunky section of this letter. I mean... You would think all of sin falling short of the glory of God. I mean, we can go home now. We're done. It's like, no, there's a lot more here. Okay. So the designated offering that's laid down willingly, that's the blood of Mashiach, the righteousness that causes Hashem's Pesach is passing over us, forbearance, demonstrating his righteousness, and Hashem is completely just in that and the justifier of the one who engages in all that. Okay. Let's finish out this chapter. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. Everybody say excluded. Again, I said earlier, turtle on a fence post. Nobody gets to brag about being on a fence post, especially if you're a turtle. Anyway, by what principle of works? No, by the principle of Amuna, faith. And again, I want to go back to this little drop here because Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 really uh, expound upon this, this whole idea of grace. And uh, believe it or not, there's a passage in um, Galatians. So let's do the Ephesians passage real quick. 
By grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of Hashem. Okay. So the salvation that we receive from placing our trust in Hashem, which is the righteousness that's apart from the Torah, that is through being a gift from Hashem. It's not from us. We didn't cause anything to happen. It's like it was already there. So we just was like, oh, look. And Hashem was like, do you want it? Then it says it is not based on deeds so that no one may boast. So nobody gets to boast. It's not based on what you do. For we are his workmanship created in Mashiach for good deeds, which God prepared beforehand. So we might walk in them. So all these different works you think you're doing, unless you're doing them from the aspect of being a new creation, you're wasting your time. You have to focus on being a new creation first. comes to mind that a husband and a wife when they get married enter into uh underneath the hoopah enter into kiddushin that both of them considered are considered as newborn babes literally completely forgiven of all their sins and they enter into a new life they're literally called new creations a husband and wife from that point forward they begin to do works However, if they did those same works without going through that ceremony, that would be considered uh, lawlessness, uh, rebellion, uh, death, um, destruction, disobedience. I mean, should I go on? But yet after they enter into the hoopah, covenant, all that kind of stuff, now they can do those things. Same thing with the Torah. Shouldn't be engaging and Shabbat, unless you have become one with Hashem. Otherwise, you're just taking a day off and um, striving to do something that takes literally more than a lifetime to perfect, refine, and and try to do well. Shouts out to uh, my Aki, uh, Yosef. Ha-Emet on um, he has a YouTube channel and he was talking about this that we grow in our understanding and our observances of the Shabbat and um, you know every single time we get an opportunity he did a beautiful job on that and the thing is is the only reason we're given the ability to grow and go through those things is because Hashem has given us his righteousness that is apart from our observance. He's given us that that connection to him, that gift that says, hey, I know you're trying. But the fact that you're just minds, the fact that you're with me, the fact that you love me, the fact that your focus is on me. Shabbat will get worked out. But you're focused on me like you and I are eye to eye here like heart to heart. That's what's important. And you're doing this the same way that the blood of Mashiach works, a designated sacrifice that willingly lays down its life. You're like, you chose the Shabbat. I didn't. So therefore I'm doing it. I uh, am far from perfect at doing it. However, I'm willing to try 
And Hashem was like, thank you. That's all I needed. Let's, let's do some, let's do something. Here we go. So Baruch Hashem. Okay. So then going on. So it's not of works. Drop on to this Galatians passage. It says, just as Abraham believed. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Know then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Because literally we extend out what Abraham did. Abraham believed and so do we. So therefore we're his children because we're doing the same thing he did. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith proclaim the good news to Abraham in advance <laughs> saying all nations shall be blessed through you. And then the faithful are blessed along with Abraham, the faithful one. Torah already told us about this very thing that's written here in this letter. That's written here in Galatians. was written in Ephesians. Like it's all there. Tor Ha'arok on Bereshit chapter 12, verse 3, which is where this verse is found, says, All the families on earth will be blessed through you. Not only Abraham's direct descendants will be blessed, but far wider circles. All the families on the earth. Some commenters or commentators derive the expression from the causative form of the root barak which is where the Baruch word comes from, blessed, meaning to refine through genetic improvement, which is Mavrik. The term is applied especially to improving the qualities of certain grapes and the wine they produce. And it says, in our case, it would mean that all the families of the earth would be improved through intermarriage with descendants of Abraham. Abraham having married Hagar, an Egyptian descent, and siring a son from her would be a case in point. Later on, he married Keturah, who was of the descendants of Japhet, and sired six sons from her. Genetic improvement, can we say, new creation, which comes through marrying in to the family of Abraham. And what happens over here in the rest of this chapter of Romans? It says we consider a person to be set right apart from Torah observance. Is God the God of the Jewish people only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, the non-covenant people. Since God is one, like the Shema says, Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad, Hero Israel Adonai our God is one, says he will set right the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised by faith. Do we then nullify the Torah through faithfulness? It's like, well, then if we're set right by faith, do we need to do Torah? His answer, may it never be completely opposite, i.e., on the contrary, we uphold the Torah. 
again, just like the husband and the wife who enter into Kiddushin, once they've entered into Kiddushin, now they follow into the life of being married people, which is us in Torah. We're living a life of being married people to Hashem. Because the Exodus chapter 19, 1 Peter 2, 9, same thing. That means that we're married to Hashem and we've been made new creations. Now we can do these things. So may it be so that we grab a hold of the righteousness that Hashem grants us as a gift that is apart from our observance. So that when we accept that gift and we enter into observance, that regardless of how well or how bad we do, Hashem passes over it and draws us closer to him and gives us divine assistance. And when that is the case, that is not meant to be a cop-out, but that's meant to be an encouragement to say, hey, I know you messed up. Let's try again. Grab a hold of the bars of the ark and the ark will lift you. Baruch Haba Bishem Adonai. Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech Haolam Asher Natan Lanu Torah Temet Vekaye Olam Natabetokainu Baruch Atah Adonai Noten HaTorah